is going on baseball fans welcome to episode two of season two of this week in baseball presented by diamond digest i am your host jordan lasowski i am joined by just two members this evening kelly was having some um technical difficulties right up to the end of the show or the start of the show we have ethan fisher and jordan miller so two jordans on the show tonight fellas how we doing fantastic good living the dream living the dream week two of baseball is in the books some fun stuff for the White Sox, some um, baseball games for the Pirates. Hey, they <laughs> split with the Padres and won two out of three against the Brewers. You're right. They have without, had a pretty se- good series. Without Key Brian Hayes, so mm-hmm. we're doing all right. With the Cubs and the Padres. Seven and nine, baby. Better than you can ask for, but also <laughs> right. you don't want to be doing too well. <laughs> but we will jump right into it. Um, our, we'll st- start with our opening. We got... Our usual standings updates, and then our new segment around the league in 60 seconds, uh, where we give a recap of what we think are the main highlights that we want to talk about outside of what we'll talk about in the seventh inning stretch, where we've got seven questions. I give out points arbitrarily. It's really fun for me. I don't know how fun it is for everybody else. We'll end with what we're going to be watching this week, and we'll do our normal closing. We'll remind you where to find all our stuff and all that good stuff. But let's not delay any further. If the season ended right now, which is Sunday evening during Sunday night baseball, here's what the standings would look like in the major leagues. Remember five team playoff this year, no expanded playoffs. The Boston Red Sox lead the AL East. The Kansas city Royals lead the AL central and the Seattle Mariners lead the AL West. The two wild card teams out there are the LA angels and the Cleveland Indians. <laughs> In small sample size baseball, naturally, as I went through those AL standings, let's talk about the NL. In the NL East, the New York Mets are the East champions. The Cincinnati Reds lead the Central. And the LA Dodgers, no surprise, are cruising to start this year. The other two teams that make up the NL side of the hypothetical bracket for the playoffs, the San Francisco Giants and a tie between the Milwaukee Brewers and Philadelphia Phillies. So, gentlemen, instant reactions before we get into our other news updates on what we're seeing around the league in terms of the standings. Definitely a lot of shakeup in the American League going to be coming here in the near future. That's a lot of what nobody expected here to start out, but it's it's mid-April. Yeah, a lot of 500 baseball in the American League. Um, pretty much all the leaders there I wouldn't expect to be in or Respective divisions. Uh, National League, I mean, the Mets make sense. Dodgers make sense at this point of the season. But um, Central was a toss up anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, the American League will normalize itself out for sure. The American League is actually super interesting just because every single team, except the Yankees, is like between six and 10 wins. There's not a lot of disparity so far. Uh, Even the bottom of the teams are, are. pretty on par with everything the the big shock is really the new york yankees it's been reported that five and ten worst record in the american league first time since like the 60s so there are things you're seeing that you're not going to see all year and you're not going to see very often in general um just helps itself to the whole small sample size argument that we're 16 games into the season we can't get too much out of this but we'll certainly try as we get to the seventh inning stretch Before we get there, though, 
around the league in 60 seconds. You know the drill. This is actually new for both of you. You've got 60 seconds to recap all of the major events that happened in baseball this past week. Who wants to go first? I'll, I'll leave it open to you guys. I'll go. Okay. All yep. right. Let's do it. <laughs> um, the Bieber versus Giolito uh, duel was really fun to watch. Um, both those guys were, were great. It went up to the hype. Uh, Bieber was a more efficient one throughout the night, though. Giolito, um, he threw like n- the whole game, nine, nine strong, and 11 strikeouts. Giolito threw seven. Um, he was also really good, too. Pitch count kind of got away from him at the end. Um, and again, the extra inning roll had to spoil a great show done by both pitchers. Um, Corbin Burns, um, he continues to dominate early in the year, except at 30 strikeouts um, already on the year with three starts. Um, so he's been really fun to watch. Um, Ronald Acuna has been one of the probably the hottest hitter in baseball. Definitely a front runner to be National League MVP. Seven homers, batting average four hundred, well, well over a thousand OPS. Is off to a really hot start. That's what I got there for this week. Yeah, I highlighted I highlighted a couple of uh, in game you know highlights. JD Martinez on Monday. At a three-homer game, he was the uh, fifth player to do that with three different teams. Uh, Adam Duvall had a seven-RBI game for the Marlins. Uh, Shane Bieber, he had 24 strikeouts this week, which is just absurd. He tied Nolan Ryan's record for strikeouts in the first four starts of a season. And obviously, we're going to get to these later, but the big highlights this week were Carlos Rodon, no-hitter, and the entire Dodgers-Padres series. But I know we're going to get to that in a little bit here. Yeah, this certainly was the week of the pitcher. Uh, we, we had a few things thrown in there between J.D. Martinez and um, and Adam Duvall, but at the same time, pitching continues to dominate early on. Corbin Burns is an incredibly mm-hmm. awesome story. Jacob deGrom continues to be Jacob deGrom. It, it, it continues to show why hitting in baseball continues to be so difficult. Um, you know, we talk about – this is a complete side tangent, but – we talk about, you know, listening to ESPN Sunday Night Baseball and some of the talk surrounding launch angles and all that fun stuff. The reality is it's really hard to hit a baseball. And it's really hard to go and do it three times in a row to drive in a run. And yeah. that's why you started seeing that shift towards, well, if I've got home run hitters, I'm going to tell them, try and hit home runs because one, one hit and one run is a lot more efficient than trying to string three hits together. As a White Sox fan, we've seen how difficult it is to hit with runners in scoring position right now. Um, It's rather aggravating for a lot of teams. So it it just continues the story of, you know, pitchers are getting so, so good. And, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit in seventh inning stretch, which we'll get to right after this. Baseball is starting to think about trying to do something about that. And and we'll see how people feel about it. One other big thing um, to recap as we talk about, you know, what was the start of this what was this week like? Um, there, there, there were reports about, you know, a, a, I guess a toxic Mets culture in, in terms of their front office and um, y- y- uh, the people they were employing. And you know, it's, a, it's a difficult t- subject to talk about. It's certainly not an unexpected one, given what we had heard um, about the Mets front office. But it's, un- it's an unfortunate one. And I think... Ken Rosenthal and the people at the athletic have done a great job, you know, uncovering this story, bringing it to light. 
And if you haven't seen that story yet, you know, again, it's, it's a sensitive topic. It's a lot of workplace toxicity, but it's worth your read. Um, as you look towards, you know, what are things I missed this week? If you didn't read that, if you didn't take a look at that, it's not a fun topic, but it's one that needs to be read as we, as we think about, you know, what needs to be done to make baseball both on the field and off the field continue to be the great sport. We know it all is. Um, and it starts with those that are being employed, but, but that is with the athletic, please make sure to go and read that. Before we move into seventh inning stretch, Callie was supposed to be on this episode. She sent me her around the league in 60 seconds. And I just took a look at it. Um, so I'm going to read it here. It was set to the tune of we didn't start the fire. However, I don't sing and we're not going to do that. I'm going to leave it for Callie <laughs> to sing on a later episode. It's just not we happening. Exactly, It's not coming out of my mouth. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not. It's, like there, there are a few things in this world I won't do. Singing and dancing are two of them. It's okay, Jordan. <laughs> but I will read Callie's Around the League in 60 seconds before we move on to seventh inning stretch. Here we go. Padres Dodgers had game of the year. Yankees, Yankees fans shed many tears. Acuna and Contreras hit many nukes. The A's proved their start was just a fluke. Rodon threw a no-hitter. The Mets made DeGrom very bitter. (laughs) (laughs) Hendricks gave up many dingers. The Twins and Angels showed COVID still lingers. This is fantastic. Had to go with the rhyming. That was this week in baseball. Mookie (laughs) made a play that was pretty insane. That was was this week in baseball. Try to steal the best. Despite many a test, <laughs> would have been better think, if Kelly sang it. That the rhyming was fantastic. Let me be honest, though. But um, yeah, she she actually pointed out a very big few there. The A's bouncing back from what was mm-hmm. a historically bad start for them, just staying competitive in the AL West. If you are listening, oh, you are listening to this on Monday, obviously. So Kyle Hendricks had a rough start on Sunday Night Baseball, which is something she had just mentioned. He had never given up four homers in a start in his career. And naturally tonight he did it in one inning. Let's see what else is the Yankees. We talked about the Yankees, Padre Dodgers. We'll get to that. Acuna and Contreras, they're back and forth as well as just Wilson Contreras and some of his conversations concerning his hit by pitch antics. That's always a fun one. And of course, Mike Trout is still the best in baseball. (laughs) Nothing new there, but Let's get into seventh inning stretch where we talk about seven pretty prevalent topics. We go back and forth. We've got a duel today versus a uh, three-way battle. So this will be interesting. Let's start with inning number one, new week, new crew, still early in the season. Give me your best and most dramatic overreaction, either positive or negative to start the season. Ethan, we'll start with you. All right. So we talked about uh, the Yankees being off to a rough start. As of this moment, they are 5-10, and ten, which, as we said, is the worst record in the American League. Um, in light of this, I unfortunately happened upon um, a certain portion of Yankees Twitter that is so upset about the team being 5-10 and ten, that they think that the Yankees should tank for Jack Leiter, which... <laughs> is obviously impossible because he's going to be drafted in about two months. So my overreaction 
uh, goes out to the Yankees fans who are so unaccustomed to losing that they think the Yankees are so bad that they should go back in time and suck worse than the Pirates last year so they can have the top pick this year. There's no trading in uh, the MLB draft. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> Ethan coming out to seventh inning stretch, guns a-blazing. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, what you got? Um, I see a lot of a reaction over um, some of the Sox uh, hitters. Um, so he's in, um, particularly uh, Grandall, Abreu, and Makata. Um, I would not be worried whatsoever about most of them because a lot of them heat up in the, in the summer, in the warmer months. Uh, especially um, Mankata and Abreu, they are notorious for doing better in the warmer months. Um, if you saw last year, um, you know, Abreu has MVP season in the warmer months. Obviously, Mankata gets a pass last year due to COVID, but um, he had a great 2019, and he's starting to really hit it up with, uh, with the battle of Italy. He had a couple good games today. He's, been hit, he's always been hitting the ball hard. Uh, Grandall, I mean, I have had, I had concerns about his health, but He's getting a lot of time off. Collins is doing a really good job backing him up, but um, either way, it's it's still early. I wouldn't really get too alarmed by just any slow offenses as a whole throughout the year, um, throughout the throughout the league itself. So that's when we'll overreact to slow starts to offense. It's April. It's cold, so a lot of players heat up um, in the warmer months. It's a good point. I think you know. In terms of size of fan bases, not in general, but on Twitter, I think the White Sox are a fairly vocal one and fairly large one, and you see a lot of opinions just like that. Um, White Sox Twitter is very lively. If ne- a lot of negativity. There's a, a lot of positivity, too, but it's a lot of people going back and forth about topics and a lot of banter, but that's what makes White Sox mm-hmm. Twitter so great, that people have all their have all their opinions and and but sometimes it gets toxic or people just get too negative or like to fight each other about stuff. It's the lively group. <laughs> also guilty on the fights, but we'll <laughs> ignore that. Um, I, but you know what, as good as that argument was, I can't not give it to the Yankees going back <laughs> in time and drafting Jack lighter. Ethan, you're starting off the season with a point. I don't, I don't know if you won last year, but. That's yeah, I was close a couple times. <laughs> Inning two. For the second week in a row, we have a no-hitter to talk about, as both of these fine gentlemen mentioned, as well as Kelly, who's not on the podcast. Carlos Rodon joined Joe Musgrove in throwing the second no-hitter of the 2021 season. Whose no-no was more impressive, though I probably know what Jordan's answer is going to be. <laughs> and how many more might we see this year, and who will be the next to throw one? Everyone on the last episode got that prediction wrong. No one guessed Carlos Rodon. <laughs> I don't blame them. You guys have a chance to set it right. We'll start with Ethan, who won last round. All right. So I know I have my back against the wall here with a couple White Sox guys on here. <laughs> but Joe Musgrove's my boy. I loved him when he was in Pittsburgh. And uh, what really impressed me about his no-hitter was that uh, – he only threw his four-seamer and his sinker 13.4% of the time, which was, by a pretty significant amount, the least he'd ever used his fastball in any major league appearance. And we started to see last year when he was still in Pittsburgh, you know, we saw how dominant his secondary stuff was. So I was really glad to see him you know, go out there using primarily his secondary stuff and ending up throwing a no-hitter. Um, but to Carlos Rodon's credit... 
Um, he he was actually on perfect game watch because he didn't hit his batter until the ninth inning and Musgrove was in like the fourth or fifth. So he was actually on perfect game watch. And I was really impressed with how he increased his velocity as the game went on. His 110th pitch of the game was the hardest pitch he's thrown in like four and a half years, which is just insane to me. And I would be remiss if I didn't uh, give credit to Jose Abreu for making the, uh, the perfect game salvaging play by sacrificing both his ankles and his, uh, his family jewels to uh, preserve, <laughs> preserve what was at the time a perfect game. Um, to wrap up the question, um, we're on a pretty good pace with two no-hitters already. I'm going to say we matched 2012 when there were seven no-hitters. Wow. I don't, know if, I don't know if we'll get to three perfect games, but seven no-hitters is doable. And it's always somebody you don't expect. Merrill Kelly of the Arizona Diamondbacks will be next. I like that guess so much better than all three last week, only because it is so out there. I love that guess. Jordan. I happen to be in attendance for uh, Rodon's no-hitter, so I am a bit biased, but Ethan said it best. I mean, Rodon was um, you know, he was perfect through nine. Um, I did a piece on this um, this week as well, too. Um, it was very nice to see that, like, basically throughout the whole outing, his, his stuff was was on point. His fastball increased from the start of the game to the end. Um, his command was really good. His slider was was unhittable. Um, um, the cool thing about it is, though, like, you'd think there'd be, like, 30,000, 40,000 fans at the same. It was, you know, 7,000. It was lively throughout the whole time. As it got, like, to the seventh inning on, it started to get tense. But yeah, like a lot of what Ethan said, like he threw his hardest pitch at the end of the, the end of the game around like 99 miles an hour. I mean, that's insane when you're that's basically all adrenaline, adrenaline right there. To just have that velocity when that many pitches are piled up, and um, you know, wasn't for Roberto Perez um, not getting out of the way, which <laughs> it's arguably it's arguably if he could or not. I mean, it was a, sli- a misplaced slider. It's gonna happen, and and if you look at the replay. Bray clearly got the out too. That was also very close as well. And of course, the Indians will challenge it. It's a division rival. So, I mean, you can't fault them there. Uh, they're going to be competitive. I did. Um, I did happen to catch the end of Joe Musgrove's uh, no hitter. Uh, he was really good too. Um, uh, definitely a solid trade there for the, for the Padres. And um, I'm happy for him as well. Um, I just kind of picked out a couple guys. I think like uh, maybe Tyra Glass now or Corbin Burns could be the next no hitter. Um, they've been really good start to start the year, just of you know what they bring to the table with their pitching repertoires and whatnot. I think they could definitely make a make a pretty good case for getting a no hitter at some point. Since we voted along party lines here, Jordan with the White Sox pick, Ethan with the former Pirates. I won't award any points. I think they were such similar no hitters. Mm-hmm. Between would have been perfect game, except for a hit batter, and I mean both were impressive in their own right. I I, th- I think it's a, it's an unfair question on my part to ask you to compare no hitters, especially when they were that similar. Um, but a no hitter is something we're certainly all lucky to see. Jordan, I was also at that game. Um, yeah. Very lucky experience. Very lucky to be able to witness a no-hitter i'm very very fortunate yeah i was with my dad um he's been going to games since like the 60s and he's never seen a no-hitter mm-hmm. i never seen one so it was both our first so great experience with both me and my dad so um 
definitely something that kind of came out of the blue because like it was the only game he could go that week and I had choice of either game throughout the Indian series from the person I was buying it from and we chose that game and I was kind of bummed that Lynn wasn't going to pitch because of the shuffle that they had that during the week if Rodon's upset stomach but then like I never could have expected that was the, that we get out of Rodon and I was so happy I went and I don't even care that Lynn didn't pitch anymore after that happened so I was like it was definitely a great experience. And that's the beauty of baseball, and that's why neither Merrill Kelly nor Tyler Glass nor Corbin Burns will be the next guy to throw a no hitter because it's going to be so know? random. Why well, do we come Kelly on is here? pretty random, so exactly. uh, that's fair. What do we know? <laughs> Excuse me. Inning three, patience or panic is what I'm calling this question. Name one team or team players rough start to the season you believe fans should be patient with. You can either name a team or a player; doesn't matter. And name one team or team's player rough start you believe fans should be worried about. So I guess it's technically patience and panic. I didn't even name my question right. Either way, we'll go with Jordan to start. Well, I'll go with the two teams. That's what I had planned. So um, patience. I mean, I'll. I'm going to go with the two teams that are going off uh, to Einstein at baseball for both these uh, patients would be the Braves. Um, they have a lot of talent, a lot of young talent that um, does not speak to this uh, six and nine start. That's how what the record is. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's seven okay. now, but yeah. 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 I mean, a has been hot. Um, I haven't really, I, I know their pitching's still, you know, been a little iffy here and there. Um, they're going to have Mike Soroka back pretty soon too. Um, they got to go to bullpen. They got, you know, they, they had a big offseason of get, getting Charlie Morton. So I wouldn't panic about them. They're, I think the Bacota projections were, were a big, like, sore eye for a lot of people. The 82 and 80, it didn't really make sense to me whatsoever. That team is too talented to um, be 82 and 80. I still expect them to win the NL East. Um, the panic team to me is definitely the Chicago Cubs. This is not even, this is not like a Cubs hate thing at all. It's definitely my, Specific opinion. Um, their pitching is a, a lot of soft tossers that have to rely on pinpoint command to really be successful. And I talked to a lot of Cub fans. A lot of them are really, you know, really sore on their hitting. They're bottom of the league and, and batting average, slugging, and OPS. And um, you know, a lot of people say you know they have had a lot of different hitting coaches. I mean, they fired their hitting coach John Malley after the 2017 NLCS. And it just it's, it's pretty weird, and they've been not really big system ever since that they're hitting. A lot of guys swing with the fences. Uh, Baez is swinging at every pitch, crazy. He's really regressive as well too. And it's it's not it's not the video. He just has no plate discipline. Um, Chris Bryant has been you know has been hurt a lot. Uh, Rizzo has been up and down. It's, it's a lot of. It's a lot more what I expected out of this team, so that's where I'm panicking there with that team as well. Ethan? I definitely agree on the Braves, but I said the Yankees. Um, they're going to be fine. They always are. Um, there's too much you know, too much star power on that roster for them to continue to suck like this. And you know, even with injuries and stuff, they always have the depth to just pull guys like Gio Urshel and Mike Talkman out of nowhere and turn them into above average hitters. So I'm not worried about the Yankees. Um, I also said the Cubs, the Cubs suck. You are polite. I hate the Cubs. The Cubs suck. <laughs> Going into tonight's game against the Braves, they were slashing as a team, 184, 281, 364. 
184 team average was dead last in baseball. Uh, only the Rockies had a worse WRC plus than the Cubs. 28.7 strikeout percentage is the highest in baseball. Um, only Chris Bryant and Wilson Contreras, and now Anthony Rizzo after two homers tonight, they're the only uh, guys hitting at league average or better on the team. And those stats that are awful, that does include them scoring 13 runs on Saturday against the Braves. They're, they suck. And normally I would have faith in Kyle Hendricks and nobody else, but he just had one of the worst starts by a Cubs pitcher ever. And the Cubs have been around since like the stone age. So I, I would definitely be in panic mode if I was a Cubs fan. I could have been harsh, but I didn't want to do say, that. <laughs> you, I didn't, one I, took the high road. One was like, I hate the Cubs. Cubs suck. I've been Cubs waiting are, for this since 2016. <laughs> the Cubs are behind I mean, the Pittsburgh Pirates in the National League Central. <laughs> being in a, I mean, Ethan being a Pirates fan, I totally get it being, um, you know, in the NL Central. So, I mean, I mean, Jory could agree with me. We hate the Twins, Tigers, and Indians, Royals. I mean, I mean, I hate the Cubs, but I'm not going to go on here bashing them because I just feel like, I was fully honest to hear. I mean, I agree with Ethan. Ethan's like, oh, well. <laughs> I, agree with, I, I agree with Ethan on the Yankees thing, but the one thing I definitely not surprised is their pitching. I felt it was very feast or famine with them. So, like, I mean, Garrett Cole's going to lead that rotation. He had a lot of question marks below him. Um, Montgomery and Devi are young. Um, Tyone and Kluber have a lot to prove, a lot of injuries. I mean, I really didn't expect their pitch to be as great. So, doesn't surprise me too much, but they should have more than five wins. You know, one team I'm going to call out to keep an eye on the Toronto Blue Jays. They're they're in a similar vein where their, their offense was is meant to carry them. Um, and you know, when you're looking at you know early on, I like to at least look at glance at run differential just to see, hey, how how, how are you holding up in these early games? How's your offense looking compared to your defense? At a plus nine run differential, I I think. If, if you're looking to win a lot of ball games and your offense is a, only able to help compensate for your pitching early on by nine or so runs over the course of 16 games, it concerns me at least a little bit. It's run differential is not the end all be all run differential is hardly a huge talking point. It's more so just something I'm glancing at as I'm thinking early on. And, you know, only for scoring 66 runs, that's, what that's about league average right now in terms of runs scored runs allowed. It's not looking, it's not looking great either. It's just like, is it panic? Maybe not, but it's something to really keep an eye on with these guys. It's, it's a tough division to play in, especially if the Red Sox can continue to hit the way they have. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be the Tampa Bay Rays. The New York Yankees will eventually be the New York Yankees. Um, so maybe not panic team to keep an eye on. I'm going to give you both a point for that one, but Ethan, the complete evisceration right there was fantastic. <laughs> Jordan, you're getting the point because I appreciate you taking the high road as a Sox fan. But in terms of me, I hate who's ever playing the Sox that day. So let's be clear on that one. That's fair. I mean, when <laughs> Cubs are playing the Sox, I, I definitely get, you know, a little bias there and I will call it the Cubs. They suck. I do agree. <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't want to be the typical the Sox basher. I didn't want to be the typical Sox basher here. So, I respect it. 
I, but I also respect coming on here and being I, like, listen, they suck, and there's no way around I it. talk a lot of Cubs hate when I can't do it. I just didn't want to be the one to do it here. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be a, a, a Ryan Rude business podcast, so I'm very sure. So <laughs> I didn't want to get pissed off all of us, so. <laughs> oh, God. Poor one Ryan. thing I wanted to, like, pick at for the Blue Jays, I mean, they're playing in a weird park. I mean, did even Florida? I mean, they're, they played in two parks the last couple of years. They're not used to playing. Yeah. Um. They're missing Springer right now. He's not bad, is he? I don't think no. so. Mm-mm. Nope. And I mean, they're pitching outside of Ryu is very, right? Not not too good. But I mean, they have a lot of young hitters: Bobichet, Biggio, um, Guerrero. They got a lot of a lot of talent. That team. Simeon was a good pickup for them. So I mean, I mean, they're going to be competitive with the Rays. They they will not get. I think the Yankees to win the division, but they're very competitive. But I mean, obviously, playing in two different home parks for two years in a row is That'd be a tough adjustment for them. Yeah. So I feel for them. It's certainly something to keep an eye on at the very least. Let's jump into inning four. On Saturday, Jacob deGrom stuck, struck out nine batters in a row in a game. He struck out 14 total in that game. And by doing so, striking out nine batters in a row, he fell one strikeout short of Tom Seaver's 10 consecutive strikeout record in 1970. When it's all said and done for deGrom, where will he rank among the best pitchers of all time? We'll start with Ethan. I think it's too early to put DeGrom in the, you know, goat discussion, um, especially for, you know, a starting pitcher who is so successful because he throws so hard. Uh, it's hard to tell how long he's going to be able to maintain that. And it also doesn't help that he got off to a late start. He made his debut like a month before he turned 26. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, was starting a little bit behind. He also doesn't really have much of a postseason pedigree either. He, I think the Mets have only made the playoffs once or twice in his career. And he only made one World Series start and he pitched poorly. So, I mean, I definitely think he's on a Hall of Fame track. He's probably going to end up in like the Kershaw-Verlander tier, especially, you know, in relation to there he's pitching in. But I... I don't like throwing the goat, you know, term around too much. So I don't think he's there yet. Jordan. No, I would not put a best in the goats here. Also. I mean, there's a lot of pitches throughout, throughout, you know, baseball and history. Like, you know, pitching was a big thing, you know, early on in, you know, during the dead ball era, a lot of great pitchers come out of that era. Nolan Ryan. I mean, Walter Johnson left the Grove. I mean, that was the era there right there. Um, for the most part, the ground's been dominant, and I do agree with Ethan. He hasn't much of that um, playoff career like, you know, Clayton Kershaw has or, like, um, hasn't had the experience there. Um, a few of the Yankees pitchers um, also as well, too. Um, I would say the ground would be around that, like, that 10 to 15 range when it's all said and done. He's got he's won back to back Cy Young. He's been Cy Young top ten like three or four different times. Um, he's still got years left him. He's only like in his early to mid thirties. I still think he can pitch for a good while and maybe get another Cy Young on his belt. The Mets did a lot this offseason, so he'll get those playoff experiences as well too, I believe. So um, he'll definitely he definitely has a lot of time to make up for it. But he's definitely going to be in that tier of um, you know Verlander, Kershaw, Granke, um, for the most part. I agree. You both agree. This was meant to be a more controversial question. I, I wrote it a specific way. Do you both 
Gun to your head. Is DeGrom going to be a Hall of Famer? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. All right. Just curious. No right or wrong answer. I'm just very curious on that one. Um, DeGrom, Ethan, you brought up a really good point, and that's why you're going to get the point here. DeGrom got off to a really really late start. Only starting your track when you're 26 years old puts you behind the eight ball in terms of racking up the numbers necessary um, to be considered the best of the best. But I, I do think he probably ends up a Hall of Famer all said and done. I'm curious to see how this era really rates in terms of Hall of Famers. That's a completely different discussion. But you you look at guys, and this is and this has really been the start of and the continuation of the era of wins don't necessarily matter. How are and you kind of first saw that when Felix Hernandez won the Cy Young, and he was eleven and eleven that year. You're really starting to see the progression of, you know, as wins continued to mean less and less, how are Hall of Famers going to, or how are Hall of Famers going to be elected by the Hall of Fame committee? Um, and DeGrom's one of those names where it's like, I don't know yet. A lot of the names we're, we watch in baseball, Kershaw, Verlander, it's like, yes, but how are they going to determine it? It'll be really interesting to see when you talk about what's on plaques and what people are writing about, what they're going to point to. And I think DeGrom fits right into that in terms of, you know, it's not going to be the wins. So what are they going to point to for him? So I'm it's going to be really curious. unfortunate. It's going to be unfortunate when DeGrom's at like 60 or 65% of the Hall of Fame vote for seven years because he didn't win ball games. Yep. That's going to be infuriating. It's going to happen. Yeah, that, a win-loss thing is a, is a really weird outlier about his career. One pitcher I didn't bring up um, who has a very good historic playoff uh, was Bob Gibson. So he's I'm, I'm obviously that's the track record there. He's not going to be Bob Gibson, obviously, but he'll definitely be in the playoffs a little bit more now the Mets are competitive. So um, that's one pitcher I forgot to bring up, though, as far as uh, playoff pitchers. Yeah, you you almost wonder if the the voters are going to want to see some sort of pedigree in terms of the playoffs. Um, yeah. While also it's at the same time, fault. yeah, it's not also, exactly recognizing it's not his fault, and Mike Trout has three postseason at bats in his career, so it's yeah. like. How do you measure that? And it, it, this is this era, especially, is when it's going to be real interesting to look back in 20 years from now and really see how things came about. DeGrom and Stroud have been dominant for what they've been given. It's just mm-hmm. the fault of teams they're on. I mean, the Mets' history has not been great. Um, it looks a lot brighter now with Steve Cohen at the helm now. Um, you know, Stroud hasn't had the pitching to help him out. He's got a great lineup, but I definitely underestimated that team, seeing how good they started yeah. out this year. Um, they got a great manager now in Joe Madden. Um, we'll see what Perry Manazian can do to help Trout get to the uh, playoffs more often. I think both teams are on the right track, just doing some shakeups in their um, front office. And they're both young, and they'll definitely have a shot at making some playoff moments for them for sure. I agree. I think th- this will be the start of seeing can we get some of those names who we consider probably Hall of Famers get that playoff pedigree that so many voters want to see. For sure. Inning five, fact or fiction. Dodgers-Padres is the best rivalry competition-wise in the sport right now. Nothing's going to beat Yankees-Red Sox, of course, in terms of historical rivalries. Competition-wise, fact or fiction. We'll start with Ethan. It's absolutely a fact. Um, I can't remember the last time 
that a three game series in the middle of April had such an October like atmosphere to it. And all three games were really good games on Friday. That was when Tatis returned, which seemed like an impossibility. Not that long ago, he homered off Walker Bueller. When he came back, there were like five or six lead changes in that game. The benches cleared a relief pitcher was, hit against a position player and hit a sacrifice fly to a pitcher playing in the outfield. <laughs> and it was, that was just a crazy game on Saturday was the, uh, the pitcher's duel between Kershaw and Darvish. That was a really good uh, matchup there. There was a half bench clearing in that game after the old catchers interference thing. And then the Mookie Betts diving catch to save the game. And then uh, on Sunday was a uh, Trevor Bauer and Blake Snell, another really good matchup. The Padres, came back to win against the Dodgers bullpen. All of that just happened in three games. There's like 16 more, I think, against the two teams. And it starts on Thursday. Four-game series starting on Thursday in Los Angeles. So we're going to get some more very soon. Jordan. I'm also going to say fact. Um, I'll start with the Padres. They got a very stacked stacked team. Um, I mean – Machado, we you know we go back to that 2019 year when the Sox tried to get him. We all we all wanted him when it came clear who that was their target. Um, he's been you know he had a slow start in 2019, but he picked it up. Um, Tatis is one of the most exciting players in the league. I still think he's overrated. Did not deserve the contract he was given. Eh, he's still very young. He's not played you know full season yet, and the shoulder thing is definitely going to be an issue. I think it's going to be an issue for him for a little bit. Um, he's had it for his whole career. Um, I think the the Padres are being a little bit too um, not, not enough cautions on this injury. It seems like he's going to have to have offseason surgery. But I, mean, I totally get why they're doing it. They're paying him a lot of money. If he's good to go, this guy be careful. I'm giving days off. They got a lot of depth. They got Jerickson Profar, um, Kim, and then Cronenworth who could play that position. Um, but yeah, the team stacked. They did a lot. They, they did a lot with their pitching in the offseason. Musgrove, Darvish, Snell. Um, they really thrived at having a lot of young talent to trade to get to have a great offseason like they did. Uh, the Dodgers already had a good team going into the year. Um, they uh, forked up the money to retain Turner and get Bauer late. Um, they just basically put their put put the um, the NL on notice. Just stomped on their throats saying, you know, we don't care about dipping into the luxury tax. The, C- um, the CBT is up for negotiation end of the year anyway, so they don't care about going over whatsoever. Um, their 11-2 start is not surprising whatsoever. They are they were the best team going in. They're even more the best team now of what they did in the offseason. And it's a very fun series to watch this for sure. It does have that October flavor. They very competitive teams. They um, very fun to watch. A lot of fun players and there's it's very competitive um, to watch, I think, I mean, that are close second is like the Twins and the White Sox. They that rivals well too. They have a very, um, very close rosters. Um, so it's, but it's not close. But I guess, but I think the Twins, Twins and the White Sox probably the only closest one I can think of right off the top of my head about as far as comparing another rivalry in the sports. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anything right now compares Dodgers Padres. I think. For me to sit up till 1 a.m. watching a West Coast ball game, like that's this is a completely separate topic now, but this is why West Coast games need to start earlier because some of the best games right now are being played out on the West Coast. 
And I don't want to fall like last night. I fell asleep before the game ended. I was sitting I in bed watching the game, fell asleep, woke up. I'm like, what happened? And it's like, it, it's those frustrations where it's like, I need you to start these games like an hour or so earlier. Like that's just my big beef with West coast time. But the, the first week of white Sox baseball, I didn't sit in my own bed for a week. <laughs> starting against the Angels. The season was rough. Starting at the Angels and Mariners, I mean, yeah, we had I think we had one day game in the middle of our Mariners Mariner series, but it was I did not sleep in my same bed for a week. It was rough. So staying up for those games, staying up for those games. Yeah, I do not like the West Coast trips at all. We don't even play good West Coast, so I don't even like them whatsoever. So, but yeah, I, I am not a fan of West Coast time. But anyway, I'm a Central Time Zone guy. It's fine. Same. <laughs> Inning six this week, Major League Baseball and the Atlantic League announced two major changes. These are two changes that we had kind of teased early on in our episode here. The first is that they're going to move the mound back a foot. So it'll be 61 feet, six inches. And the second rule is what they're calling a double hook. Once a starting pitcher is removed from the game, the team also loses its DH. So what are your thoughts on these rules? Is there any chance we could actually see these rules implemented in big leagues? Jordan, we'll start with you. I'll say for sure I hate both. Um, I'll start at Universal, I'll start at the DH rule. Um, seeing now that the um, Pedros have a lot of quick hooks now, losing a DH is sounds sounds terrible. If I if I a lot of pitchers are going past four, five, six innings now, especially in the American League, I'm I'm obviously a fan of the Universal DH. I hate seeing pitchers bat. So I think we need universal DH for this game. It's going to help. It's a prolonged careers. It's good for the game. Pitchers should be doing what they're supposed to be doing. They should be pitching, not hitting. Um, so I think that rule makes no sense. Um, I definitely could see it coming. Manfred hates baseball. So <laughs> it's, you know, and then Theo the Epstein was on the radio and six times we trying to give his points. And I'm like, I still don't see how this makes sense whatsoever. Um, to pull a DH after a starting pitch is pulled, especially when they get rocked the first inning. I mean, it totally ruins everything. If that's what like what happened there with um, Hendricks, I mean, if they lost their DH, that'd be terrible. The game just started. Um, and totally threw his whole lineup out of whack. And then for um, the pitcher role, I also hate that. Um, you know, as a fan of pitching, watching pitchers pitch, I want health is a big thing with pitchers. Um, and these guys, you know, they're throwing a, a ton of innings. 100 pitches to start, and to give them another obstacle by moving the bound backwards, they're going to have to get, you know, more resin or breaking stuff. They're going to have to throw harder. That's going to increase injury. And we're going to see a lot of pitchers who like to watch get hurt. Um, they're going to have shortened careers. And so it'd be a big adjustment to move it back. I mean, I mean, these pitchers are, are, are paid for what they go through. And I see a lot of pitchers now getting these um, two or $300 million contracts for only making like 30, 35 starts. But, you know, for what they're doing right now, if, if all the data we have now, if like tunneling and codify all the stuff like that, it just makes it, it's one more thing they have to adjust to. And I just don't think that's going to be very, just very, uh, very good for the game whatsoever to move them on back. And I, again, I do see it happening because all the, all these people want to just kill baseball, the way things are kind of trending right now. I hope these two rules don't, don't get in. I haven't really liked a lot of the stuff like the, the, I mean, I have my own thoughts on the shift. All these rules they're testing. The robot umps is a lot of things they're testing in these um, minor leagues. Um, 
I have opinions on those two, but I mean, these two for sure, I do not want to see in the game. And I, I can see it just about so Manfred's track record and how he, how he's been, you know, killing the game ever since he's been in, in his, in his power. Ethan. I don't care for the, you know, moving the mound back at all, but I'm actually really fascinated by the, uh, the strategical implications that would come with the double hook DH thing. It would definitely incentivize, you know, managers not pulling their starters after three or four innings or, you know, trying to get them, you know, through jams if the DH spots coming up like Nelson Cruz, just as an example, what if Kenta Maeda like loads the bases with nobody out in the seventh inning of a tie game, but Nelson Cruz is due up third, mm. you know, power him through the inning so that you can have Cruz back or do you bring in a reliever and then have to bat, you know, Jake cave in that spot, you know, or do you play Nelson Cruz in the field so you don't have to lose him or, you know, can he, is he allowed to, you know, move back to DH or whatever and lose the spot that way? Cause that's how the rule is now anyway. Um, and especially like for teams who use the opener, are they allowed to, you know, just not opt to have a DH and just bat the pitcher ninth anyway, since the pitcher's not going to bat anyway. You know, there's a lot of, you know, really interesting questions that would come along with this rule. I actually don't hate it. And I, I, I question, you know, like Jordan said, you know, everything Rob Manfred has ever done because, you know, he hates baseball, like he said. Um, so I could definitely, I could definitely see both of these you know, being implemented, but I would not mind the, uh, the new DH thing. My, my only fear about the new DH thing is if you've got guys, you know, like Nelson Cruz, Nelson Cruz is a great example. <clears throat> if I know it's a liability to put him in the field. And I know there's really only a chance I'm going to get like six innings out of him. So I'm getting one less at bat per game with him unless I put him in the field. So that, I guess there's two ways of doing this. One, I get, I leave him at DH, get one, at least one less at bat out of him per game. Or two, I put him in the field, lose a ton of value there. Either way, it feels like his contract valuation is going to go down. I'm not going to pay him as much mm-hmm. if I'm, only, I'm getting one less at bat per game. That's 162 less at bats per year. No, why am I going to pay him $12 million? I should pay him X million dollars. If I leave him in the field, well, I get all those at-bats, but you lose me a ton of runs playing right field mm. like you don't belong out there. So I'm going to pay you less there too because you're not going to provide enough value for me. So that's the one worry I have with that and we're working around that. The two rules kind of feel like they work differently than me. I do think if I had to pick one of these two that would be implemented, it's going to be moving the mound back. I think that even just a foot would help a lot of hitters dramatically. And Rob Manfred certainly wants to see more offense at the same time, removing the, um, or having the DH lost. I think that adds an element of strategy, kind of what you're saying here, Ethan, but at the same time, it removes some offense from the game. If you're having a pitcher not have to hit or some pinch hitter have to come in, you're eventually going to run out of pinch hitters. I don't know. It's it's a bizarre couple changes to think about, but I think if one of them would be implemented, it would be the mound being moved back. That's just my personal opinion. I don't like. I like that. I, I get where you're going with the strategy, Ethan. Um, 
I don't know. I, I think if you just fix the blackout rule, you'd have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> all this stuff Very we're true. doing, if all you did was fix the blackout restrictions, I think yep. we'd fix a lot more issues than moving the mountain back will fix. Yeah, I definitely figure Jordan that, that that's the one rule I obviously I can live with with the mom moving back. I just I'm just I like having universal DH in the league and that's where I do not like the other rule at all. So uh, I'll agree if there if I had to live with one of the rules, it's gonna be moving the mom back for sure. And I do appreciate your willingness, Ethan, to not just say I hate it because I did that exact same thing <laughs> when I saw these rules. I'm like, I hate it, I'm done, I don't care. I appreciate you taking that step back, and that's what we expect of our DD analysts here. Okay. We're not talking oh, yeah, about the I Cubs, mean, so I can actually be more <laughs> open-minded about it. The strategy explanation was definitely good there. Yeah, um, I liked it. And I know how value Nelson Cruz is to the Twins, being a Sox fan, and just seeing a, seeing a poor menace <laughs> constantly. You know so I take it back. One last at bat per game against Nelson <laughs> Cruz. I am all <laughs> That's for true. <laughs> That's true. I but take it a, all back. <laughs> there's a lot of good DHs in baseball. J.D. Martinez. Um, there's a lot of... So, Jordan Nelson, Alvarez. So, Nelson Cruz not coming up with the game on the line in the eighth. Fine, game <laughs> up. I'm in. Yeah, if it's the only if the Twins have to play by that rule only, I'm game. <laughs> and the Sox You've never Cruz. been so happy to see Tyler Duffy in your entire life. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's a, it's the gift that would just keep on giving right there. Yeah, oh. if the Twins have to have that rule only. I'd be still game for it. <laughs> Uh, let's bring home seventh inning stretch here with our seventh question. Sean Kazmar, which is, a, or Sean Kazmar Jr., rather, which is a pretty cool story. He made it back to the big leagues this week for the first time since 2008. Uh, he spent from 2008 to 2021 in the minor leagues, just trying to get back to where he had been in 2008. It really cements a long story of perseverance and dedication. So, very non structure related to Sean Kazmir at all. What's your favorite baseball or sports related story similar to Kazmar's? This long story of perseverance and dedication. It could be your own or a sports one that you've read about or seen. Basically, what's your favorite feel-good story from sports? I want to hear them. And I'm sure the fans do too. We'll start with Ethan. All right. I got a feel-good story for you. Um definitely under the lines of perseverance and dedication, but it's not quite in a, the same time span as a Sean Kazmar Jr.'s was. Um, there's a player currently in baseball who was a first-round pick a number of years ago, and he got rushed to the major leagues and struggled really bad and then ended up you know, getting thrown around a bunch of really bad teams, and now he's starting to finally get it together. Carson Fulmer <laughs> of the Cincinnati go! Reds. I Carson thought that's Fulmer. where you were going. That is exactly where I'm going. Carson Fulmer has only given up one run in nine appearances, nine and two-thirds innings, one run, two walks, nine strikeouts. Carson Fulmer is here. And if that's the feel-good story you want to hear, that's the feel-good story that I'll give you. Jordan, I'm going to let you go, but Ethan's going to win the point. If you don't know... <laughs> If listeners are unfamiliar, I am the world's biggest Carson Fulmer stan. I've gotten a lot of crap for it. I ne- I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily able to give it up now. Um, yeah, that I, I heard you making that story. I'm like, is he actually going with the Carson Fulmer story? I, I actually was not going to guess that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> with it. All right, I'm going to let you go, Jordan, but <laughs> you're not going to I mean, 
I know Jordan spoke on Carson Fulmer a lot in here, so I'll just give my, my quick two cents about it. So, I mean, I watched a lot of Carson Fulmer a lot, and um, I definitely agree he was rushed a bit. And Don Cooper really um, progressed as a pitching coach, um, and he never really helped him whatsoever. He was, you know, as, if you could throw a cutter, that's what he wanted you to do constantly. So, and I really don't think he did much to help him. So, I definitely agree. And he went to like a bunch of teams, Tigers, Pirates, and didn't really pitch with the those Orioles, teams. Yeah. So yep. he really didn't even get a chance to pitch with those teams. And then the Reds are a very drive-on driven team. Sonny Gray is, uh, has, 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 has worked with him in the past in the off-seasons. And I think that's the one team that can help him out with all the, all the driveline stuff that they do. So that's the one team I think that he can excel with for sure. Obviously, I'm not here to talk about Carson Fulmer. I'm here to talk about another White Sox player who um, – who actually had his first start today in two and a half years, Michael Kopech. He has been through a ton. He, um, he got sent over in that, in that, in the, in the first big trade of the White Sox rebuild, the Chris sale trade along with you on Mankata. Um, I've been a big believer in Kopech since he started, he came up in 2018. It was a big thing for the fan base and, um, he made like four starts and then his velocity dipped against the Tigers. And then we all do that story of when, um, Tommy John surgery was his was inevitable for him. I remember when it happened, I was very upset. I was like in utter shock when I heard the news. I, I just couldn't deal with all 2019, not going to see him pitch. And you see how his Instagram, he was just climbing mountains and it was very sad. He talked about like his struggles with depression and just getting through that strenuous uh, TJ. And he's had issues in the past, you know, with just a lot of struggles growing up. He's also like, you know, He's kind of put himself in line with, like, you know, the girls he's dated. You know, he's had uh, his first his first um, bishop was, like, a, mo- a model. And, then like, now his, his current one was kind of, like, iffy now when they had a kid. And there was a, all these divorce rumors and whatnot. Um, all, he, got a ton, he got a ton of hate for opting out of 2020 season from the fan base. Other people, too, thinking he was soft, thinking he was making up excuses, was a terrible father. All these, all these things he had to put up with, like verbally. It's it's a good thing he took himself off social media because I mean it keeps his mind focused on what was the goal here. Um, I was totally okay with him taking the year off. I had no bash towards him whatsoever. I mean, it was a weird year for a lot of pitchers. A lot of pitchers got hurt, um, so I totally was on board from coming back. And now the role they have him in now is perfect. But the Sox are doing with them in the bullpen role, and to see him. Just to to get us to get his first start today, um, against his former team, he pitched phenomenal. Four strikeouts, two, three, and the third. Um, they, I mean, he, he got he, it was his first. I mean, the, that was actually his longest outing he's had this year. Um, I I saw some comments that when he told Cats and Larusa that he wanted to go six after coming out there, and this this is what he was born to do. He wants to start games, and he was really determined and. It's a feel-good story of all the all stuff he's been through with, like, you know, opting out, just the injuries, depression, odd things he's battled through to, to, to get to this moment. And it's great to see him, and I'm really pulling for him to have that great career and then starting at some point in the rotation this year, next year, wherever it may be, just being part of the part of the, the good times with the White Sox. And, I mean, as a fan of the Sox, I can't be more happy for Michael Cole. Two really good stories. I, I, I think they are both phenomenal in their own way. It's 
Ethan picking on my Carson Fulmer fanboy <laughs> side, and I love that you did that, but also Michael Kopech's one of my favorite pitchers. Um, all right, I think they're two really cool stories in terms of guys that just don't give up, and it's why you find the fun in the 20th round draft pick who makes it into the major leagues or the guy who's had a couple arm surgeries. I remember, I think it was Johnny Venters a few years ago where he had a couple more than a couple arm surgeries. All of a sudden he comes up, gets to pitch a couple games for the Braves. It's guys who don't give up, who really love this game. And, you know, you talk about, Oh, money talks. And to, to a certain point, it absolutely does, but it's always good to see those guys where it's just, this is their life. This is their passion and they're going to do whatever it takes. Um, and certainly everyone is doing that in their own right, but there are those special few where it's like plenty would have given up long before that. And I always appreciate those types of guys too. Ethan, Jordan, wonderful job with seventh inning stretch. Ethan, it was clear you played this game before you knew exactly what to yeah. say, when to say it. <laughs> you, uh, you very clearly knew what you were doing. Jordan, it was a good, it was a good run as a uh, first timer on this week in baseball. It certainly won't be your last, but Jordan or not Jordan Ethan knew exactly what to say with that last one uh, that, that's that, good to hear you want me back on Jordan it's good to hear <laughs> oh we'll have I'm happy <laughs> I'm happy to hear that <laughs> oh god but as we start to wrap up the show we're going to talk about what we're going to be wanting to watch this week and what we think you should be wanting to watch this week we'll start with the winner Ethan what are you going to be watching this week all right so we discussed earlier um how okay it is to hate you know, your division rivals. I hate the Cubs. I also hate the Milwaukee Brewers with a burning passion. I've watched a lot of losing to the Milwaukee Brewers, even though we just took two out of three in Milwaukee, which is definitely unexpected. Um, the Brewers rotation has been really good to start the year. And it doesn't exactly reflect in the fact that they're only eight and seven, but they've had a ton of injuries on the offense including Christian Yelich, who's on the injured list right now. But their starting rotation of Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Adrian Hauser, Brett Anderson, Freddie Peralta has been phenomenal. Through today's, or Sunday's, game against the Pirates, their uh, starting rotation has a 207 ERA, which is the best in baseball, a 317 FIP, which is sixth, uh, they pitched 82 and two-thirds innings, which is the seventh most among starting pitchers. Uh, 29% strikeout rate is fourth best. A 7.3% walk rate is 11th best. And a 0.88 whip is tied for first. So as a group, they've been phenomenal. Obviously, Corbin Burns um, has been at the head of that. Um, I actually have an article coming in the coming days about you know, how good he's been to start the year, what kind of changes he's made both from 19 to 20 and from last year to this year and how his start to this season has, you know, almost mirrored what Shane Bieber did to start last year. And obviously he kept it up for the entire season. Um, and before the season, I predicted that Brandon Woodruff would win the National League Cy Young Award, which was definitely a little out there. I'm not backing off of that yet because Brandon Woodruff in his own right is nasty and he's been one of the more underappreciated pitchers in the league for a couple years now. Um, it's definitely a two headed monster at the top, but all five of them have definitely been pulling weight. Um, those numbers that they've put up so far um, have come against the twins who haven't been, you know, fully healthy. Uh, the Cubs twice who suck. Um, the Cardinals who have been a little inconsistent offensively. Um, and like I said, the pirates who, or uh, without Brian Hayes, but Pirates won two out of three. 
Um, the true test is going to uh, be the rest of the month of April. Uh, starting Monday, they play the Padres. Uh, they get the Cubs again after that, and then the Marlins, and then the Dodgers. So they definitely have their work cut out for them. Uh, but if the Brewers keep this up, um, they're going to run away with the Central for sure. And Jordan, what you watching? Um, I'm also watching the Brewers too. Um, they do play the Cubs again this week after what happened last week of the, the constant um, uh, beaning of the Cubs players. I'm really just to see what, what, what else is going to come with that. Like uh, we had some suspensions come out of the last series. Um, Contreras and Rizzo have been victims of that. I'm just really curious to see how it's going to be handled as far as like, are the pitch, are the Cubs going to start throwing at some of the Brewers players. So that's something I'm kind of wondering about. The Brewers Padres is also a series too. There will be a lot of good pitchers, a lot of good pitching duels there too. We got another um, Dodgers Padres series this year, if we too as well. And then also uh, we got Patriots Day tomorrow with um, the Sox at ten o'clock in the morning. Like you get, we get baseball at ten in the morning, Jordan. So we get Giolito on the mound um, so versus Nathan Evaldi. So I'm going to be working tomorrow and have baseball on at the same time at ten o'clock. I well, I couldn't think of anything sweeter than that. <laughs> I don't so, mind that's... like the one o'clock games. I'll tell you what, the ten o'clock is like that's a bit early for me. I'll be honest. I mean, <laughs> I got, I got, I got a ten. I got like a ten thirty call, so it's going to be a little bit hard to concentrate. <laughs> so I'll have to have the TV on mute while I'm on that call. But still, I mean, to have a baseball game in the background working yeah. is definitely it's like something I'm used to with the spring training games that were going on this year. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a unique thing that the that the Red Sox do is have these early games on Patriots Day, so that's something you won't see any time this year. So that's unique about this week. Thoughts on the Patriots Day uniforms before we close out here? I want to hear them. Uh, the Red Sox uniforms, yeah, I'm, those it, bright yeah. yellow ones. I actually like them. I think they actually. So really do cool. I. I. I've heard a lot of hate about them. Like they yeah. look like soccer jerseys, like whatever. Like I, I mean, I personally wouldn't wear them, but like. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's not my style. I mean, but I think they're really cool. Like, I don't think they're bad at all. Like, I'm really anxious to see what I think the Cubs have one come out, the Sox have one coming out. There's a few other teams. I'm very anxious to see what they put out because I would like to get a, a, a Sox one if, it's, if it looks good. So I, I like it. It's a really cool looking jersey. I know it's kind of out there, but I don't hate it. I've heard a lot of, a lot of mixed reviews on, on that jersey. I don't, I, don't, I don't dislike it whatsoever. It threw me off a little bit, to be honest. <laughs> if you just saw the color scheme and nothing else, the Red Sox might be the last team that you would pick to be wearing that jersey. Mm-hmm. So it definitely looked a little weird to me, but it's it's definitely out there for sure. I mean, it's got the marathon touch with the patch on the side. I mean, if you had no idea, you, you didn't see the announcement like a week or two ago, you would have no idea what team was there. You would think it might be like an expansion team or whatever. I mean, but... It's a really cool looking jersey, but um, that's just my opinion. It's a bit too much yellow for my liking. I will say that. However, I really do like it, and I I am not hating on it as much as a lot of people are. Um, little too much yellow though. Maybe it's just the color of the yellow, because like the pirates have their own gold jerseys. Yeah, it's a little, it's, it's a little darker. Yeah, it's, it's like maybe a little darker yellow, or maybe a little less yellow. But I personally don't hate them. Um, it's not kidding. like highlighted the yellow. So I think it's enough. I think the blue kind of helps out a little bit mm-hmm. too, as well. The it's a good contrast. So yeah. But we'll get to see those tomorrow morning, and 
we'll have this episode out early on. So hopefully you can listen to it and then get some baseball right after it, because that's going to do it for us. Make sure to follow us at diamond underscore digest on Twitter, diamond dot digest on Instagram, diamond dash digest.com for all of our talented writers. We did a great job keeping all our dashes and dots in order when we first set everything up. Make sure to find us on YouTube as well. You'll have the, um, the video version of this podcast on there. And now we're also on Twitch and Hot Mic. So when we do our Sunday Night Baseball episodes, you can find us there. When we do our weekly questions, uh, Q&As, we, you can find us there. Um, there's a lot going on. We've got a lot going on. We've got a lot of different places you can find a lot of good work here. Uh, both Jordan and Ethan mentioned some of their recent articles. Make sure to check those out. Ethan is a upcoming article, but make sure to check that out as it comes up. Again, hot mic streams, articles, podcasts. We got a lot of good stuff going, and it's only going to increase as we get this season going, and we add some new writers coming up soon. So looking forward to another fantastic season and another fantastic week of baseball that we will recap next week same time same place for jordan miller and ethan fisher this is jordan lazowski signing off take care everyone have a great week i'll see you next week take care